In January of 1975, I was an 18-year-old high school graduate from a military academy in Roswell, New Mexico. I grew up in Dallas, and I went my last two years of high school to a military academy trying to deal with my drug addiction. And for two years in Roswell, New Mexico, I dealt with it. In a controlled environment, I dealt with it. But when I got back to Dallas, there was no change in my heart. If there's no change in your heart, there's no change in your destiny. And I got right back into drugs. And so by January, the year after I graduated, I'm a 133-pound speed freak. They call him a meth addict today. I am messed up. I'm living in horrible sin and crime and uh, a lifestyle that you can't possibly imagine. My natural father comes over to my apartment, and my daddy's a great big Cajun man from southern Louisiana, and he comes in drunk as he had been most of my life, and he starts talking to me about the life that I'm living and the road that I'm on, and I sat there thinking, Dad, just get this lecture over because I've got to go party. I've got some crimes I've got to do this afternoon. I'm going clubbing tonight, and, and I sat there just kind of get it over. I'm, I'm sitting here, but I'm not listening. And he realized by the look in my eye, you're not getting this. You're, you're, you're on a downhill crash spiral, son. And his father's heart made him do something he'd never done. He said, Mario, I want to talk to you for a moment about God. And I did something I never thought I'd do. I slammed my fist down. I said, Dad, wait a minute. You don't know me very well, and you haven't been around very much in my life. Let me tell you something about your son that, I don't, that you don't know. I don't believe there is a God. I remember thinking, if there was a God, he'd have done better than a daddy like you. You left my mother and my brother and I when I was about five years of age. You've been married seven times and failed in marriage seven times. You've drank your way from the top of the business world to the bottom over and over and over. How many Friday nights did my little brother and I get our little suitcase and sit on the porch because dad was coming to get us to spend a weekend with our dad and you couldn't get past the local bar to show up to pick up your own kids. You say, Mario, how can you be raised in the South and not believe in God? Number one. My family didn't go to church. My stepdad who adopted us, we had a lake house. We went to the lake every weekend. If you want to know who your God is, tell me where you are on the Lord's Day. It's just a, it is a simple test. The Sabbath day is what's holy. And the Bible says the Sabbath day is when you turn your foot from your own pleasure. If you're doing what you want to do on the day God wants you to be in church, who's God? Simple thought. What I didn't learn in home, I didn't learn in school because they teach the theory of evolution, which is the most brilliant, stupid deception in the world. Survival of the fittest. Do you know if they believed in survival of the fittest, they wouldn't have made us quarantine during COVID. If they believed what they've been teaching, they said, go out and breathe. Get together. I didn't learn it from church because I was never in Dallas, Texas, Bible Belt, invited to church. Because people like you don't invite people like me to come be in your church around your kids. My dad didn't know what to do. He began to cry. It's the first time I saw my dad cry, and he looked at me, and he said, Mari, I'm not the father that I should have been. And son, I'm not the Christian that I should be. But Mari, there is a God I met him when I was 16 years old in a little church in southern Louisiana. And my drunk daddy started to walk out of the apartment, turned around and prophesied to me. He said, God's going to put you in a place to get your attention. You know what I thought? Whatever. I, I'm, I'm going to, let's use a Bible phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, which is a nice way of saying I'm going to be a horrible human being. 
What I didn't know is how quickly life can change. You know, life is made up of habits. Baloney, life is made up of decisions. And it only takes a moment to change your direction. The next day in the middle of a crime, I committed a horrible, brutal, inexcutable murder. And 24 hours after that, I was arrested after a high-speed chase in a car wreck and taken to the Irving City Jail. Early in the morning hours, they had caught me, and they had me shackled down, hand to feet, and all that other stuff. I'm surrounded by police officers going in the city jail. That's a suburb of Dallas. TV cameras were out there. We caught the guy that did that horrible crime yesterday. And as I'm going in, John Loper, Sergeant John Loper, was looking at a family portrait that they'd gotten out of my apartment when they raided my apartment trying to find me. And he realized he knew my stepdad, Bob Davis. And he says, is Bob Davis your stepdad? And I said, yes, he is. He said, you pick up the phone and call him right now. You're going to be on the news at 6 a.m. in just a few minutes. I picked up the phone and called my stepdad. And I said, Dad, this is Mario. He said, what do you want? I said, Daddy, I'm in jail. And you could hear the frustration in his voice. I mean, it's like, what are you in jail? And I only thought it was for fighting or, or you know, speeding or, or something kind of just ruffian, not crazy criminal. I said, Daddy, I'm in jail for murder and I'm guilty. I didn't understand the heart of a parent. That long silence on the other end of the line came from the heart of a father that was broken. When he got his composure, he said, don't say anything to anybody. We'll be there as quick as we can. A few hours later, Dennis Brewer, Dallas's number one criminal attorney, the racehorse Hayne, the Johnny Cochran of criminal attorneys showed up. And I got excited. I'd gone to school with Dennis's daughter most of my elementary and junior high life. I knew Dennis as the most corrupt attorney in Dallas, Texas. He was a womanizer. He was a pill user. He was a heavy drinker. And when you're guilty, you want a corrupt attorney. Yeah, I know y'all don't like to hear that, but let me just tell you in case you ever go. I need one, you need to know the best way to get out of there. And uh, Dennis talks to me five minutes and does something I never in my mind imagined Dennis Brewer doing. He pulls a Bible, a big old black Thompson chain reference Bible out of his briefcase and said, son, I need to talk to you about God. I thought, I'm definitely going to be electrocuted. If this guy's talking to me about God, Texas will electrocute you. They ain't playing. And he starts saying, you know, Mari, six months ago I got drunk and I went home and I was shooting my pistol in the house. The kids were upstairs and my wife got upset that I might kill one of the kids and so she left me and that brought me to my knees. I went to church on Sunday night. 59 people at Calvary Temple Assembly of God Church, pastored by J. Don George. Somehow I found myself in front of all those little Pentecostal people at an altar of prayer, Dallas' number one attorney, and he said, I began to have an experience with Christ. He delivered me. He set me free. He saved me. I went home. God has restored my marriage. He baptized me in the spirit while I was jogging. Then he healed my wife of breast cancer supernaturally at a full gospel businessman meeting. Mari, I met a God that can do anything. Son, are you ready to pray? And I said, no. He said, I said, he said, what do you want? I said, get me out of jail. He said, no. I said, why? He said, oh, you're not ready yet. Wise words. I was transferred to the Dallas County Jail, which is where you wait the months you will wait for trial. And it was in there that I sobered up. And I'm not talking about the withdrawals from the drugs. I'm talking about of my soul. When the young man across the cell from me wouldn't wake up, I realized the blood under his bed came from four feet away. He killed himself in the middle of the night because he couldn't take it anymore. When they cut a middle-aged man down in the cell across the day room and they read the note that he had left in his pocket for his wife and children. I don't remember the whole letter, but the last phrase is something I've never forgotten. It said, I'm sorry for all the pain that I've caused you. You'll be better off without me. I can't take it anymore. I didn't tell anybody, but I wondered, when do I write that letter to my mom and dad? I'm sorry for all the pain and the shame 
that I've caused you. You will be better off without me. I can't take it anymore. It wasn't long after that that I finally prayed my first prayer. Every time I saw the attorney, he said, you ready to pray? I got ready to pray. I didn't know how to pray. I said, God, if you're up there and you come down here and prove yourself to me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And can I tell you, when I opened the door, God came in like a flood. Every kind of preacher in the world came and talked to me. Pastor George, my attorney's pastor, came and talked. But placed in my cell area was a young man by the name of Tommy Joe Wilson, a backslidden assembly God boy who, between getting arrested and getting to me, had rededicated his life to Christ, had a fresh filling of the Spirit, was turned on to God. And we're in a 40-man tank, five eight-man cells with a day room and showers all out there. And here's this happy guy coming in. You put 40 men in there, and they're murderers and rapists and drug addicts and hardcore criminals and there's a happy person can I tell you a happy person in an unhappy world is a light shining in the darkness a smile will do what a lot of things won't do I didn't want to hear about his God but I'd rather talk to him than the pervert or the murderer or the all the other guys that had an agenda when they talked to you you're gonna beat you out of something he'd always say you want to read the Bible I said no thanks but my life continued to go downhill the psychiatrist, Dr. Grigson, who testified at my trial, gave me the worst psychiatric report in the history of any inmate in Dallas, Texas, said this man is a homicidal maniac and he's the most dangerous person I've ever evaluated. And I sat on a table and I thought, am I crazy? Am I really crazy? And Tommy put his hand on my shoulder and said, Mari, everything's going to be all right. My attorney asked the district attorney to plea bargain for 50 years because it cost the state about $3 million for a capital murder trial. He told me what he did, and I thought, I'm going to be 68 years of age. I'm not going to live that long. He put his hand on my shoulder again and said, son, Armari, everything's going to be all right. When the district attorney tore the plea bargain up, he said, I'm going to put you in prison, and I'm going to put you in the electric chair, and the last person you see is going to be me. I thought they're going to kill me. And Tommy put his hand on my shoulder and said, everything's going to be all right. Sometimes you don't need a prophetic word. You just need a word of encouragement. Just give me some hope. Tommy saved my life one night after I stopped an inmate from raping a younger inmate. And I got in my bunk and I wrapped myself all up in a blanket because it was cold. We just had a little blanket and a plastic mattress. And try to, you know, you bundle up to try to create a warm spot. And as I felt the guy that I stopped, Richard Salisbury, from raping the younger inmate, I felt the knife hit my throat. And I heard Tommy say, if you kill him, you have to kill me too. I thought, what is it about this man that makes him willing to put his life on the line for somebody like me? I didn't know how to say, I love you, because I never heard my dad say that to my mother. That wasn't a phrase we used in our family. But I loved him like a brother. And when he went to trial, and he came back from a trial, and he had a great big smile on his face, I thought, they've let him go. They've let him go. He's the only guy I know that doesn't belong in here. And I said, Tommy, what did you get? He said, they gave me 75 years in the state penitentiary. And it was like a fist went through my gut. And I went and I laid down on my bunk. And I began to cry. And I mean, I just fell apart. And I was crying because his life was over. And it dawned on me, if that's what they did to him, what they're going to do to you is beyond that. Reality set in that day. You're not ever going to walk outside and see the sun come up in the morning. You're never going to see another sunset. You're never going to see the moon and the stars at night. You're never going to feel another snowflake. You're never going to hear another wave crash. And then I began to think at a deeper level. Your mother's not ever going to put her arms around you and say, son, I love you. Your daddy is never going to put his hand on your shoulder and say, son, I'm proud of you and it dawned on me those things are important and as I laid there all in a mess of emotions he walked in and I said how do you handle it 
never got what that young man said. He said, Mario, I'd rather be in this jail with Jesus Christ than back out there living like we were for the devil. When that man said that, the scales came off. Something happened, and I knew there was a God. And I said, Tommy, tell me about your God. And he picked up a Bible opened it to the gospel of John that was written so that men might believe and read John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life and then he took me to Corinthians that God will make you a brand new creation and all of the old things will pass away and everything will become new and I thought if that doesn't happen I have no future but if that happens I can have a hope he took me to a God that would never leave me or forsake me that would make a way where there is no way that open a door that, and man when he got done Jesus walked off the pages of this book into my life I got down on my knees I had an old-fashioned crying spell with God God took out a heart of stone gave me a heart of flesh changed my heart changed my life gave me love for other people I mean I got radically converted I was delivered from the demon of murder it was an amazing experience God makes you right not bright you can have a good heart and if your head's not right you still do stupid things Pastor George came to me and said, I understand you've made a commitment to Jesus. He said, yeah, he brought me a Bible. Preached the greatest sermon I've ever heard. He handed it to me and said, read this book and do what it says. Read this book and do what it says. The Bible answers all the great questions. It tells husbands how to be priests in the home, wives how to submit to their husband." and yet not be devalued. When it says women are a weaker vessel, we get offended over that. Don't be. Your physicality is weaker than your husband's. But being weaker does not mean less valuable. Silk is not as strong as burlap, but it's more valuable. Aluminum is not as strong as steel, but it's more valuable. Your value is not in your physicality. It's in your relationship with him. You know, when I read the Bible, I don't read it the way most preachers read it. I didn't get to go to Bible school. I'm in prison for eight and a half years. I'm reading the Bible. I'm loving Jesus. When I got out and heard sermons, I thought, no. Because I use my imagination when I read it. It's not a sterile book. It's an exciting book. And by the time preachers get done with it, sometimes you can think, I don't know if I ever want to read that book. It's hard to take a living word and make it dead. But it's, we've got a people have got a doctorate in that. Remember God talking to Jonah, and God said to Jonah, Jonah, you prophet, how far will you run? Well, you know, when I read that, I'm an inmate. Got to remember this. I'm an inmate. Never heard a sermon. I imagine God kind of like Casper, the friendly ghost, just kind of sticks his head in the whale's belly and looks at the idiot. Running from God is stupid. Let me help you. And he's a prophet. He knows better. He didn't start screaming at him. He just asked him a question. Hey, Jonah. Which end of this fish do you want to come out of? You don't have to scream at anybody. The right question will give them an aha moment. I go to trial. 
It's 11 to 1 in favor of life, but my jury foreman, Don McDaniels, was an ex-police officer out of Southern California who had gotten saved and delivered from the demon of murder. He was a sniper in the Korean War, and he became a police officer so he could shoot people, and God saved him and delivered him and brought him to Dallas as an insurance agent. And we talked about being demon-possessed. He fought that jury until they didn't give me a life sentence. They gave me 20 years. I went to prison. I, I got to prison. I thought, man, God is a God of miracles. I'm going to get to go home someday. This is a miraculous God. And I get in trouble my very first day there, and I get put with the giant mean people. So I'm going to number one host squad, and they're all six foot tall, 190 pounds or more with violent crimes. I'm five foot eight. I wasn't even grown up yet. I was still growing. I weighed 133 pounds. I'm a dope addict. And I'm put up with giant mean people. We worked the first day, and I got blood running out of my hands till I get stuck to the hoe handle. I, I'm in the cornfield the next day. I'm carrying trees the next day. And on the third day, I'm in the shower, and the water comes down. Whew. Hard, hot labor. And the guy beside me goes, hey, Davis. I thought, great. Been waiting on this moment. Here's the pervert in the shower. He's going to be a big guy. I am a chihuahua in the Doberman pen, so you got to come out barking. What? He said, man, be cool. We like you. I looked around, and all 22 other inmates are looking at me, and I thought, don't make me channel my inner Bruce Lee. He said, you stay in so much trouble, we don't hardly have to do any work at all. I became the mascot for the biggest, meanest people in the prison. I go to church, and the chaplain invites us to an orientation, and at the orientation, he has five inmates give us their testimony, and one of them says something I've never, he said, I've got a God that is so big, I haven't had a fight in three and a half years. I go, whoa. So I get him. What do you know about God that I don't know? He said, I know about the Holy Ghost, the power of God. I said, do you have it? And he said, yes. I said, give it to me. He said, you don't get it like that. I said, well, how do I get it? He said, come to Sunday school Sunday. So I find out how to go to Sunday school, and it's the room where inmates study at night to get their GEDs. So I go to the little classroom, sit in the little desk. There's probably 75 people in the classroom built for 35, maybe 100. It was packed. And he starts, to, he said, before we begin, let's pray. Well, I bow my head and assume the position. I thought he's going to say something like, God. Help us to understand the word. Open our eyes. Open our ears. He starts off. You know how Pentecostals are. God, in the name of Jesus, move. And when he said move, they all came up out of them desks. They all started praying at the same time. God send it down. God send the wind. God send the fire. God send the rain. Oh, God, glory to God. They're screaming. They're hollering. I think you can't have the rain and the fire. That's going to put the other one out. And, I'm, you know, and they start talking in tongues, and they're bouncing, and they're jumping, and they're hollering. I'm scared to death. I really am scared. I, you know, a bunch of cannibals in here. And so I'm looking at my fingers, and I think, God, if nothing happens to me, I won't come back. I'm, I'm not trying to do anything wrong. I, uh, I, I'm, uh, they finally start trying to stop praying, and they don't have the ability to stop praying. If you're a classic Pentecostal, when you say amen, the rules are that's the last thing you say. <laughs> amen means shut up. It's not amen, glory to God, hallelujah, Lord, we love you. Stop. You get an F in ending prayer. You just keep it, and you let it start kind of landing the plane, and you let one old Pentecostal back get a little happy, and everybody's kind of, Lord, we love you, thank you. Well, glory. Oh, no, you ain't out praising me. They will do a touch and go and take it all the way back up to 140 decibels. It's like a choo-choo train. You ever wonder, how many of those you got? Just stop. They finally stopped. These guys are sweating. I don't understand pressing in, praying through. I don't understand all that. I just know it has been crazy up in there. 
He says, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I said, I'm going to get this Holy Ghost thing, and I'm out of here. <laughs> I, I, find, I go to the front of the book to find out what page Acts on, find Acts chapter 2. I don't know anything. When the day of Pentecost had come, I thought, what's a Pentecost? I, I thought, maybe he'd tell me what it meant. It's the feast day for the Jewish nation. It's one of the, two fe one of the few feast days that has two days together. I'm looking down, and he does it. The Bible Mm. Uh, says in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 uh, that when the day of Pentecost had come and you begin to hear them oh hallelujah they begin to talk in the background all around when the day of Pentecost had come uh, they were all in one place uh, and they were in one accord uh, and all of a sudden uh, I said all of a sudden uh, there came a sound from heaven uh, it did not come from J.C. Penny it did not come from Sears and Throwbuck it came from the portals of glory it flowed from the throne of God there came a noise from heaven like a giant mighty rushing wind uh, have you ever heard the wind church and the guy beside me jump straight up and goes I hear the wind I hear the wind I hear the wind uh, and all of a sudden there appeared upon those men Cloven tongues like as a fire. Have you ever felt the fire, church? And the guy's going, I feel the fire. I feel the fire. They're dancing. They're hopping. They're humming. He gets done. He says, now, do you want it? And I said, no. And I got up and left. <laughs> I get to church on Wednesday night, and I see Tommy Joe, the man that led me to Jesus. Can't believe out of 27 units, we're in the same unit. Greet him. Ask him about Wee Garrett, he said, Marty, that guy has more faith and knows Jesus better than any pastor I ever had. I said, you know about the Holy Ghost? He said, oh, yeah. I said, do you have it? He said, oh, yeah, power of God. I said, give it to me, Tommy. He said, Marty, you don't get things like that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. Hey, Terrence, I've got to go back to my cell. Marty wants to be filled with the Spirit. Teach him about the Spirit. Terrence Smith from Chicago comes big cross tattooed on his head. I don't want to tattoo my head. I don't want to hum when I talk. I just want people to quit hitting me in my face. That's all I'm really looking for here. He sits down in the back row of the church and says, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2 verse 1. I said, God, if he spits on me one time, I'm going to slap the snot. That's a horrible place to start. That's what happened Sunday. 30 to 45 minutes later, faith comes up. When the word comes in, faith comes up. I said, I'm ready. He said, you ready? I said, I'm ready. They get the back. He calls Pee Wee in the God's odd squad over there and they get me in the back of the church and they make a circle probably 20 25 guys and they put their hands together so I can't escape this time and I'm in the middle <laughs> and then they have to sing I don't understand praise and worship I don't understand changing the atmosphere creating the presence of God I don't understand all that so I'm thinking can't you just pray I don't need all this singing just pray for me just lay your hands on me that's how it happens and then they start talking in tongues all their hands are up and I've got faith so I'm not afraid this time and they stop simultaneously thinking dude who gave the signal then they start to pray for you. They never just lay their hands on you. They, oh, Jesus. Oh, oh, oh Jesus. Oh, glory. Oh, almost, almost. And, you know, their hands are, they're like a jellyfish. It's got, the circle's got a little throbbing, a little rhythm of its own. And their hands are getting closer. You're thinking, if I could get one, I'm going to get this thing. If I could, you know, you're kind of going at it. And then they get the signal. And they all jump on you at the same time. And just like that, I was filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Man, it was an amazing experience. It changed my life. But you know what was more important to me than speaking tongues? And I do not want to minimize in any way the spiritual gifts. I'd already realized how many people go to the altar and don't keep their word. When God filled me with the Spirit, confidence came. 
that he that began a good work in me would complete it. I knew I was going to stay right with Jesus on that day I got filled with the Spirit. Let me take you to Christmas of that same year. My mother's at home. She's cooking Christmas dinner. Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner. She's looking at the table, and I'm going to be missing. I'm the first family member to not be there for Christmas. She's been saved, filled with the Spirit. My stepdad is saved and filled with the Spirit. My stepdad went and got my drunk daddy and got him to Jesus, saved, filled with the Spirit. God saved every member of my family. I've got an apple and an orange. My first two pieces of fresh fruit was our Christmas present. I'm sitting beside a cardboard box in a five-foot-wide and nine-foot-long cell reading the story of the angels appearing to the shepherd out of Luke chapter 2. And as I read that story, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of grace came down. As my mother's crying, realizing I wasn't going to be there, she was reminded that her whole family was there and relatives, and I was going to be by myself. And you know a mama's heart. God, what about my boy? He doesn't have a card. He can't have a present. can't have a phone call. God spoke to my mother and says, Barbara, don't worry about him. It's his first Christmas away from you, but it's his first Christmas with me. Sitting there that day, the spirit of grace and the spirit of God's comfort, his presence gave me the greatest Christmas I'd ever had. I was in love with Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was in love with me. Every year since then, I sit down with an apple and orange, and I ask myself the question, do I love him today the way I loved him that day? And that's what I'm going to ask you to ask yourself. Where are you with Jesus? Could I get you to bow your heads and close your eyes? And would you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed until I ask you not to? I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer it with an upraised hand. If you're here today and you say, Mario, I'm right with Jesus. I've been saved, and there's nothing in my life that I think would hinder me from going to heaven today. I feel good about it. I'm confident in my salvation. You have no doubts. Would you slip up your hand? Hold them up. Put them down and keep your heads bowed. For those of you that couldn't raise your hand, you'd say, Mari, I'm not sure. I either have never committed my life to Christ, or maybe there's some things that I need to get clean, some things I need to ask God to forgive me of. I couldn't raise my hand the first time, but pray with me today that I'd get things right this morning. If you couldn't raise your hands the first time with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you raise your hands right now? Would you hold them up high where I can see you? I'm looking at some lights. Thank you. Thank you. Only those of you with your hands up look at me. If you raised your hand just then, look at me. You can put your hand down if we're looking at each other. We're good. All the way back there. We're good. Got you. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The difference in where you are and where you want to be is the ask. Asking God to forgive you and change you. And so I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. Now all the other heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but I'm going to ask those of you that are serious about this to stand up in just a second. Let me tell you why. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me in front of men, I'll be ashamed of you in front of the Father. That's a scripture that burns within my spirit. I don't ever want anybody to think I'm ashamed of being a Bible-believing Christian, a Christ follower. And so I'm going to ask if you're serious about this prayer that you would just stand up right now. Just stand up right now. If you raised your hand, just stand up. It's okay. 
Raise your hand, just stand. Church, let's pray this prayer together. And when we're done, I want all of you to stand. And we're going to worship the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, say it with me. In Christ's name, I ask forgiveness. And I ask for cleansing. I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus. And I confess with my mouth that from this day forward, Jesus Christ will be Lord of my life. And by your grace, I will serve you with all that I have. Can I tell you something? Your chains are gone.